0: Welcome all of you uh, to our Wednesday night Bible study that are here as well as those who uh, watch via video at our campus in Stevens Point on the internet and places beyond. We are in the book of Genesis, taking a look into the Old Testament here uh, on our Wednesday night Bible study. On Wednesday nights, a little bit different than Sunday mornings in that what we do is we just open up the Bible, go through a book of the Bible one verse at a time and just kind of really get a chance to understand, know the Bible, learn about the Bible, we encourage people to actually bring your Bibles with you on Wednesday nights because then uh, you can follow along, you can look where we've been, you can cheat, look ahead, you know, whatever and make sure that I'm not making all this stuff up. All right, so we are in the book of Genesis. Now, the Genesis, Genesis uh, is, is, is it's about about the beginnings. How did we get to where we are today today? Uh, And uh, it starts out very quickly in in big chunks. It's, you know, uh, creation, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, Noah and the Flood, da 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 just kind of boom, boom, very quickly moving through history. And then, boom, it gets to Abram, who's going to get his name changed to Abraham. He's the father of faith. It is through this man that the Messiah, the promised Messiah, all the nations of the world will be blessed through this line. So now they slow down, and now he's really taking time. To tell us about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, where this whole line came from, uh, the Jewish people. Okay, now, we are uh, in chapter 16. Now, what has just happened here is, you know, as God has promised Abraham, or Abram at the time, that, uh, uh, which means, uh, you know, respected father, um, that uh, he's going to become the father of a multitude. He's going to be, you know, have all these descendants after him and have a great nation and stuff. And, uh, Sarai, his wife, Sarai, or however you want to say it, um, uh, was barren, and she wasn't able to give him any children, and they were getting along in years, uh, Abraham is, I don't know, where we're at, somewhere in his 80s, I think, at this point, uh, but, uh, Sarai comes up with this great plan, says, look, God's trying to give you children, obviously, I, I can't do this, so, take my maidservant, uh, uh, Hagar, and and you you can uh, have a baby with with her, and Abraham goes, okay, <laughs> and uh, no big objections on Abraham's part, but, uh, <laughs> but then then in verse five, which is where we left off, which I thought was rather hilarious. Uh, this girl gets pregnant, and then Sarai says to Abraham, Abram, this is your fault. You're responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. I'm thinking, wait a minute. This was your idea, woman. But he was smart, and he didn't say that. But uh, so he says, now this woman despises me. You know, may the Lord judge between you and me. She's all upset. And Abram says, well, your servant is in your hands. (laughs) In other words, (laughs) whatever you want, woman. So he says, do with her whatever you think best. Uh, Always a good line of reasoning for men dealing with women whatever you think, dear, yes, yes, dear, yes, dear, yes, dear. If you're engaged and thinking about getting married, start practicing now, men. Yes, dear, yes, dear, yes, dear, yes, dear. All right? Then anyway, Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her, because at this point, Sarah, Sarah it, it just, you know, was, was uh, very angry and, and upset that she was pregnant, and she wasn't, and anyway, they gave each other a hard time. Well, so anyway, uh, Hagar takes off, you know, Sarah's been so mean to her, and an angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert, it was the spring that is beside the road to Shur, uh, that's just uh, south of Green Bay here, but uh, <laughs> I don't know where the road to Shur, I have no idea, and he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from, and where are you going? And she said, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, Go back to your mistress and submit to her. And the angel added, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. So God starts promising blessings to this woman through this child who is still a descendant now of Abram, not the descendant that God wants as his chosen people. Um... he, God really, we're going to see this in a minute, God wants to do this through serai, okay? Uh, because he wants to be the most glorified in the hardest of circumstances, which is something for us to, to think about, you know. You say, man, I'm having a hard time. Why am I having such a hard time? Why is God not answering my prayers right away? Uh, well, the good news is God knows you're having a hard time. The bad news is a lot of times God lets hard times go so that he'll get the greatest glory when he pulls you through it. And nobody likes that, but that's just the reality of it. And uh so anyway, so God is determined to do this through uh through Sarai. Um but he says to, to uh, Hagar, Don't worry, I'm gonna bless your son you know, just to send us too numerous to count, in other words, he's gonna be a great nation, just like he has been promised he's gonna be promising to the other one. And the angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now with child, you will have a son, you shall name him Ishmael. Uh, and for those of you who are uh, not aware, Ishmael is the father of the Islamic nations of the world. This is where they come from. And uh, so, ironically, uh, the Arabs and uh, and the uh, Jews in our culture do not particularly care for each other, to say the least. But uh, they're lineage goes back to the same father, Abraham. Isn't that wild? Anyway, so you shall name him Ishmael for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. <laughs> when God calls you jackass before you're even born, that's bad news, man. I don't know what that's, what that's about. But... uh but it's just, it's just, what, he, what he's talking about is he's just going to be a real tough guy uh, his hand will be against everyone he says and everyone's hand will be against him he will live in hostility toward all his brothers he's just going to be somewhat of a pain if you will but a, a very strong uh, patriarch of and eventually a very great nation okay so she gave this uh, name to the Lord who spoke to her he, she says to him you are the God who sees me Isn't that great? You are the God who sees me. Because I'll tell you one thing that when you're going through a hard time, it's easy to feel God doesn't see me. He's not aware of where I'm at. He's not aware of my suffering. He doesn't know what I'm dealing with. And here she responds to God and says this wonderful thing about God. You are the God who sees me. Isn't that great? For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Bir Lahiai Roy, which is still there, between Gedish and Bered. Now that was still there when this was written. I don't know if it's still there today. But anyway. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave him the name Ishmael, to the son she had born. Here we go, here's the age, that's right, 86. Abram was 86 years old, when Hagar bore him Ishmael. Well, when Abram was 99... Years old, okay, so now Ishmael's, you know, he's in, hitting 13 here. When he when was 99 years old, the, the Lord uh, appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Um, and it's real interesting again, this covenant, when God first appeared and spoke to Abram, he gave him this incredible promise. For apparently no reason in the world. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't like he had done something special. He eventually does some incredible things, which we will read about. But uh, here God gives this incredible promise, just shows up and he sees something in Abram. And makes an incredible promise to a guy who never earned it. And we've talked about this and you'll hear me repeat it many, many times. But God has always known the key to unlocking the potential in a man is to treat him with great respect before he earns it. And uh, good for us to keep in mind, ladies, with your husbands and your sons. All right, so um, so anyway, uh, he says, I will confirm my covenant between you and me and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. And now... We've got the name Abraham, which means, well, Abram means a, a, a great father or great leader, whatever. Abraham means father of great nations or a, the father of a multitude. For I made you a father of many nations, he said. That's why he's called him Abraham now. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you are now, an alien, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you. I will be their God. And of course, it wasn't until a good 400 plus years later that this actually came to pass when they came out of the land of Egypt and God gave them the land of Canaan. Um, then God say to, said to, which is another point to keep in mind not that it'll take God 400 years to answer your prayers because you'll be pretty much dead but uh, things don't always happen immediately it doesn't mean they're not going to happen if you will trust God God can make a way where there is no way. He can turn around circumstances, no matter what your circumstances are saying to you today, if you will trust him. And here's what's great about Abraham: he trusted God, even though there was no evidence that God would do any of this, because he was still, as far as Sarah was concerned, had no child through her. Okay. So, uh, and it says because, and we read this earlier, I think in the previous chapter, that that phrase where it says Abraham believed God, or Abram believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Even back then, the way people really got in relationship with God was through faith. Not by doing things. You can't earn God's favor. Which is something the children of Israel lost after the law of Moses came. Which was this strict law to keep them lined up because they, they were such a mess. But then they thought it was all about the law. And if you just do the law, that will make you holy. And, and when Jesus came and the disciples came afterwards and after the resurrection... To break that thinking was really hard for people. Uh, In fact, it's still hard for people today who still, they'll go to church, they'll do all kinds of stuff. They think that if I'm just good enough, I'll get to heaven. No, that will not cut it. It will never cut it. It is only by faith and trusting in God. All right, so now God has made this great covenant. He's reaffirmed this covenant. This is the second or third time he's talked about this. And now God is going to uh, give them a sign That this is a covenant, an everlasting covenant between you and me. And then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant you are to keep. And then he gives them this new rule, this new sign of being in covenant with God. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Ouch. Um... Now, I don't really understand this, what cutting the end of one's weenie has to do with anything, but this was a major deal. I'll tell you one thing, God sure knew how to get a guy's attention, you know. So this was the thing. He said, you will be circumcised, and all of your descendants will be circumcised. This is how you will acknowledge this covenant that I'm making with you, all right? So you are to undergo circumcision and it will be the sign of the covenant between you and between me and you. Um, by the way, this was a major, 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 major problem and I won't go over it because if you've been coming to these at all, you know that we've talked about this ad nauseum because you can't read the New Testament without talking about it, but circumcision was a big deal in the New Testament. They fought about this. They couldn't get past this fact that you have to be circumcised. And then of course they just you know taught that no you don't have to be circumcised it's it's about relationship with God and stuff but for the people who really were raised in all of this this is a really fundamental thing now this is even before the law of Moses that's why they were so intense about it this was the sign of covenant between Abraham and God how can you not do this and it was really problematic for them but you can just see if you've been raised in this all your life and you really understand the Old Testament why it was so difficult for some of them so many of them to let go of this doctrinal point and they fought about this forever in the New Testament even though they ruled that believers didn't have to be circumcised it still was a problem everywhere Paul went there were guys who followed him saying you have to be circumcised and they always had this big fight but it all starts here for the generations to come every male among you who is 8 days old must be circumcised including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner i.e. slaves those who are not your offspring Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. Everybody in this deal, anybody connected with you must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Again, you can see the intensity of this covenant and why it was so difficult for these guys to let go of it. And boy, you wanted to... Really get technical, you could have quoted back to Paul. Look, it says, This will be an everlasting covenant. And of course, in the New Testament, what they started teaching was that uh, the circumcision that is an everlasting covenant is not so much the circumcision of the flesh, but the circumcision of the heart, cutting away that which is useless and, and, and that kind of thing. But you can see again, if, if you were Jewish, if you were brought under this boy, they took this really seriously. So God also said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai, which is too bad because I was having fun saying it, but (laughs) her name will be what? Sarah, there's we got the name, Abraham and Sarah. Now those names make sense. Abram, Sarai, what is this? It's Abraham and Sarah. Now don't call her this anymore. You call her Sarah from now on. I will bless her and she will surely give you a son by her. I will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Which is just absolutely amazing. It never says why God chose that. But it's just interesting. I think again that God chose her knowing that she was barren. And knowing the only way this could even come would be as a fulfillment of God's promise to them. And by having faith in that. Easy to have children by Hagar you need God to do something special to have children by Sarah. And that's what he set up. So Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, (laughs) will a son be born to a man 100 years old? Will Sarah bear bear a child at age 90? Now, I got to tell you, this confuses me. I I don't understand this and there's many things here that I don't understand in Genesis and there's some really weird stuff coming up in a minute. But... uh, uh, if we get that far. But uh, because to us, that would make sense. You're going to have a father or a child at 100 years old? I mean, come on. A lot of us would be thrilled to get to 100. Sarah's at 90. But these guys lived for almost 200 years, even at this time. So why that was such a stretch for them, I don't know. Now, a lot of people thought uh, and have, have taught that they believe that by this time, uh, Abraham was probably... in in need of Viagra or something like that. And uh, if you get my gist without getting into too much detail here. But, uh, and of course, Sarah, that made sense because her womb had already dried up. In fact, she never was able to have children. Uh, But I I don't know that I really buy that. And and we'll talk about it again in a little bit because it comes up again. But uh, I do know this. They weren't old, wrinkly people like we would think a hundred-year-old person would be today. Remember, Sarah is still a super babe okay remember she was what was it 60 yeah it was 60 some that the king saw her and said hey check out the babe when they came to Egypt and and Abraham was freaking out because his wife was so good looking he said tell me you're my sister well this is going to happen again when she's 90 she still sucks the air out of the room okay now not that I've ever experienced that but anyway you know what I'm talking about <laughs> I may be sanctified, but I ain't petrified, man. I, you know, good-looking woman's a good-looking woman. You know what I'm talking about? And uh, apparently, so she's still, you know, she's still like Ho Chi Mama. And uh, and then and we know Abram, Abraham. We'll find a little bit later after Sarah dies at like 120, he gets married again. So obviously, he didn't have problems in this. There, I don't know why this is like this because he has children with this other woman later anyway. i got nothing else to say. Let's move on. Anyway, he laughs. I can see laughing about Sarah, but come on, you know, buddy. Obviously, you've you still got it going on here. Uh, so anyway, and Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael may live under your blessing. God, bless Ishmael. I mean, he was already saying, God, it's already done. We're already there. You know, do that. And God said, yeah, I'll bless him. But your wife Sarah will bear you a son and you will call him Isaac. This is the next one. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Okay? I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I've heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and he will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. So now God's getting really specific. They've been waiting a long time. By this time next year you're going to have Isaac. When he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. On that very day Abraham took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household or bought with his money, every male in his household and circumcised them. <laughs> Ouch. As God had told them. It's one thing when you're 8 days old, it's another when you're 99. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised. And his son Ishmael was 13. By the way, to show you the connection here, we all know when you think of circumcision, you think of the Jewish nation, right? And, 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 and then you have people who are not circumcised, Gentiles and stuff like that. But do you know there is another great religion and nation that also practices circumcision? Anybody got a guess who that might be? Islam. Same daddy. This guy was 13 when it happened. And it's not just the Jews who practice circumcision. It is also uh, Muslims practice circumcision as well. It all started back on this day. Very interesting. So Abraham and his son Ishmael were both circumcised on the same day. And every male in Abraham's household, including those born in his household or bought from a foreigner, was circumcised with him. All right, now, the Lord, in chapter 18, the Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. Now, it doesn't say how, and I don't quite get this, because we just talked about God had spoken to Abram and then he went up from him and stuff. I don't know what it was that Abram saw, or now Abraham saw. We know that God never appeared as God in front of anyone. Uh, because no one can see God and live, the Bible says. The one who got the closest to it was Moses, where he wanted to see God. And he said, man, if I, you see me, you're going to be toast. And uh, he said, well, I'll let you see just a little, little piece of, as, as he's walking away kind of a thing. And uh, that was the closest anyone did. And in fact, just from that one experience, the Bible says, uh, Moses' face just shone so brightly, just reflecting from what he saw. His face was so bright, they had to put a veil over him. They couldn't even look at him. And it lasted, I don't know how long it lasted, 30 days. Anyway, it was a while when, uh, you know, just from that one experience. So I don't know exactly what he saw, uh, if it was an angel that came in God's sense, if it was a vision. I do know this, all of a sudden these three guys show up. The implication, as we'll see in a second here, is that they're angels. But one of them, Abraham, recognizes as the Lord. Now again, it can't be the lord 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 god because he toasts him alive okay so you say how do you explain it i don't i don't know i don't get it i don't do all kinds of little things in this that i don't quite get all i know is he sees three men and right away he recognizes that that this is god uh, with them Um, most bible people will just tell you that they were just three angels and the one angel represented god and that's fine i guess that makes sense but anyway, Abraham looks, he says, the three, the three men standing nearby. them. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. Immediately he identifies something. And he says, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord. Right away he, he recognized one as, as representing God. Uh, do not pass your servant by. You know, if, 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 if I found favor, if you really like me, don't leave. Uh, let a little water be brought. And then you can all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way. Now that you have come to your servant very well they answered do as you say so Abraham hurried to the tent of Sarah quick he said get three seeds of fine flour and knead it and bake some bread and then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant said chop him up we're gonna eat some tender calf. Uh, and then he brought some curds and I wonder if they were fried cheese curds but some curds and and <laughs> Wisconsin version uh, uh curds and milk and, and, and the calf that had been prepared and set out before them and they ate and he stood near them under a tree interesting obviously the angels could eat uh, and then one of them says uh, where's uh, where's your wife Sarah and uh, they're in the tent he said and the Lord said again whoever is speaking as, as the Lord here I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah your wife will have a son Again, the promise. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent. She was eavesdropping, which was behind him. And Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years. And Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I'm worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? Again, leads one to think that it was kind of all over with. With these two. Again. The guy has another wife. After she dies. I, I. You know. You figure it out. Maybe he just got re-energized here. And he was still good. 50 years later. I, I don't know. Um, but it's interesting that she says. I will now have this pleasure. Um, uh, and and I've heard people teach. Actually I, I remember teaching this some years ago. That it's interesting that. Uh, she laughed at the idea of them even having sex at this point. But she identified sex as something that is pleasurable uh you know which is a great little interpretation i don't know that's what she's talking about or not she i'm all for it (laughs) but uh you know what she's talking about the pleasure of being a mother i don't know but that that was her response then the lord said to abraham "Why, why did sarah laugh and say will i really have a child now that i'm old so right away god knew what she said is anything too hard for the lord I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. Well, Sarah was afraid, so she lied. and says, I didn't laugh. I didn't laugh. But he says, yes, I did laugh. And the truth of the matter is, back in verse 17 of chapter 17, Abraham laughed. Nobody yelled at him, so I don't know what happened with Sarah. But uh, uh, she, she wasn't in trouble, but she thought she would be and, and it freaked her out. You know, when God says, what, what are you laughing about? Uh, I didn't laugh. Uh, anyway, okay, so then going on. Then the men got up uh, to leave and they looked down towards Sodom. They're heading towards the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember, Abram sees them walking along the way, recognizes that the Lord is in the midst. Uh, how he did that, I don't know. Don't get it. But, but uh, he gets them to stay for a while and then they get up and they, take, they keep going where they were headed, towards Sodom. And Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord says this, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? In other words, what he's saying is, can I keep, I can't keep a secret from Abraham. Come on. I like Abraham. I'm going to tell you what, what I'm up to. He says, Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation. This is not what he's up to. He's just praising him. Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham uh, what he has promised him. All right, now he's going to tell him what he's up to. Then the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great And their sin is so grievous, so revolting, so disgusting That I will go down and see if what they have done Is as bad as the outcry that has reached me If not, I will know Well the men turned away and went towards Sodom, the two guys But Abraham remained standing before the Lord So the one guy who he recognized as representing the Lord uh, Stayed there while the other two guys kept going and, and Abraham was, was, was a little freaked out because he undoubtedly knew that Sodom was as wicked as what the Lord was speaking about. It's, it's highly doubtful that this was any kind of secret. Um, and this isn't the first time that judgment has come uh, to people, uh, to cities. In fact, it got so bad at one point that judgment fell on the entire world. Uh, where God brought the flood and had to wipe them all out because it had gotten so bad. So the fact that God at some point had just had it up to here with a city, either because of their violence or their uh, you know, unrighteousness, hatred, sexual sin, whatever it was, then God would bring judgment. So right away, Abram, Abraham, and I used to say that now, uh, knew that Sodom and Gomorrah was in big trouble. And he also knew that his nephew Lot lived in Sodom, or Gomorrah, one of the two. I think it was Sodom. And uh, so he was concerned. So Abraham approached him and said, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? You're bringing the judgment. Are are you going to get rid of the good guys too? Again, his nephew was there and he was concerned. And he he says to the Lord, he says, "What, what if there's 50 good people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far from, be it from you to do such a thing to kill the righteous with the wicked treating the righteous and the wicked alike far be it from you will not the judge of all the earth do right so he's interceding for the city a matter of, if there's 50 people surely you won't destroy the city if there's 50 good people you, you wouldn't do that God would you do that and the Lord said tell you what if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom I will spare the whole place for their sake then Abraham thinks a little bit and goes, Well, now that I've been so bold as to bring this up, though I'm nothing but dust and ashes, what if, what if the number is less than 50? Because he knows what a wicked place this is. Will you destroy the whole city? Or uh, am I? What if the number of the righteous is less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city because of five people? If, if, if I find 45 there, he said I will not destroy it And then Abraham says well, What if there's only 40? And and, and God says Okay, okay For the sake of 40 I will not do it And Abraham says uh, Don't get ticked off at me But uh, let me ask you a question I gotta, What if there's only 30? There And he answered I will not do it if I find thirty righteous people there Abraham says okay what if there's only twenty there and God says for the sake of twenty I will not destroy it okay don't get mad okay don't don't get mad at me I'm I'm sorry but one more question what if there's only 10? And God says, okay, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And when the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left and Abraham returned home, probably thinking to himself, that town is toast. <laughs> because it's, it's this is one bad place. Now, let, let me point something out to you here. I, I have heard... You know, comments over the years. You know, uh, you know they're they're very eloquent, and I get what they're trying to say. But I've I've heard like big evangelists and evangelical teachers who are appalled at cities like uh, San Francisco or something, where there's all this wickedness and stuff there. And they've I've heard them preach sermons like, if God doesn't destroy San Francisco, he'll have to apologize for Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, I. It sounds fancy, sounds cool, but it just shows their ignorance of the Bible. If there were so many, it's ten righteous people in an incredibly wicked city, God would not destroy it. The reason Sodom and Gomorrah got it is they were so bad. The only ones even have a chance of redemption is Lot, his two daughters, and, and whoever's with him, his wife and, and whatever... I don't even think they made the ten. So, uh, you know, don't get caught up in that. When you hear people talk like, you know, it's kind of red meat for evangelicals. You know, raw, 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 raw. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. You're an idiot. All right. God isn't going to go around destroying people. You know, God's destroying, you know, uh, different cities, you know, because they're wicked. God's destroying. Uh, what is this place? I got the hurricane again. Oh, New Orleans because it's wicked. I, I don't. I don't think so. I don't think so I've I've been to New Orleans it is indeed wicked and if you've ever been to the French Quarter and stuff like that it's it's enough to make a normal person puke quite frankly Uh, but you know there's wonderful Christians in that city wonderful born again people there's wonderful churches in that city you know this thinking like that is, is just not balanced in light of biblical truth are you hearing what I'm saying? okay now, now, could God, you know, bring judgment? I, I get, God can do anything he wants. But, I mean, there's certainly no example here of uh, of God wiping out cities because parts of it were so wicked. Not when there's still a presence of God in the city. It's just not... Uh, it's quite frankly... Uh, and, and let me take a huge leap here. Uh, one of the reasons why many Bible scholars believe that uh, the rapture... That uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I don't have time to explain it to you. But but the rapture, when 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 Christians will be caught up uh, to to meet the Lord, will occur before the great tribulation, you know, falls on the earth. There's always great debate. There's people who believe Christians will not be raptured before the great tribulation, that will live through the whole thing, and that will be raptured at the last second. There's some that think well we'll get about halfway through and then be raptured out. Uh, and then there's those who think it'll happen before the great tribulation. The thinking being there is, again, understanding the Bible from this viewpoint, that uh, for God... See, it's not that people say, well, you know, Christians have suffered, why would God keep them from suffering? God has never intervened really so much when people are being persecuted for their faith. Because Jesus said the servant's not greater than the master. If they killed him, it would be unjust for God to protect you from being persecuted. Do you see what I'm saying? Because now you'd be getting favor that he didn't give to Jesus. By withholding from Jesus, that's why we are lambs considered for the slaughter. God will protect you, bless you, and everything else. But if someone wants to persecute you for your faith, uh, you'll pretty much get the snot kicked out of you. And uh, and God won't really... Unless in some unusual circumstance, I've heard stories of this, but I've had friends who've uh, been in countries where they got caught, sneaking Bibles and just were brutally beaten and suffered terribly for the name of Christ. Of course, they actually felt blessed by the account and something. But you think, why would God do that? Because he can't do that when he didn't step in when they were beating Jesus. I think that makes sense to most people. And if that opens questions for you, bug me later, I'll try and figure it out with you. But anyway, the whole idea then being, the difference is that in the Great Tribulation, at the end of the Bible, this is not persecution. This is God's judgment coming down on the earth. And that's why the thinking is, to catch away the church so God can slam the earth with judgment. That would be. Now, am I correct in that? I don't know. I always tell people when it comes to the prophecies of the Bible, I believe in the pan theory, which means it'll all pan out in the end and we'll all. <laughs> people fight over the dumbest stuff. You know, who cares? I believe it'll be happening. I believe it happens. To... I think we're all going to find out, you know, what you say isn't going to change anything. But that's the idea here because God's judgment coming, he would remove the righteous first because that's what he did in all that based on this picture that we're seeing here. Okay, so anyway, the two angels, meanwhile, show up at Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed uh, with his face down to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. Now again, why he would bow down. Did he recognize them as angels? It doesn't say. I don't know. How do they see these two guys and boom. You know, Abraham right away recognized the presence of God uh, with one. Recognized them as as, as angels from God right away. Lot saw something. uh, I don't know. But anyway, he right away prostrates himself before them. And says, you know, come stay with with me in my house. And I said, no, we'll spend the night in the square. Well, Lot freaks, because he knows what kind of city this is. Okay, you won't be safe in the square with this city. This this is a city that is completely given to sexual sin. They have lost their minds. There is no restraint in this city. Uh, But he insisted so strongly that they did go with him and entered his house so they did come over to the house and he prepared a meal for them baking bread without yeast unleavened bread and they ate it before they had gone to bed all the men from every part of the city of Sodom both young and old surrounded the house they too had seen the two guys now surely they did not recognize them as angels but they must have been pretty good looking guys I would think angels would be kind of you know hey check out the, the stud you know Manly men showing up, you know. So these guys see, wow, you should see these two guys that just came into town. And these guys are so consumed by lust, in this case, homosexual lust, it is the men who come. They call out to Lot and said, hey, where are those guys that came to you tonight? Oh, Chi Mama! Bring them out to us so we can have sex with them. This is the sin of Sodom. Why homosexuality is referred to as sodomy. Um, people who argue that uh, this city has nothing to do with homosexuality are delusional and ludicrous. I will say this: this city was so given to sin that 's what brought um, judgment and the fact that there was no believer there was no none righteous there. The only one even close was was Lot and his family. This is what brought judgment it wasn 't just because they were homosexuals. Um, and we got to be careful with that. God brought judgment on all kinds of people for all kinds of different things. And to uh, just, you know, walk around with these signs of God hates homosexuals, you know, just chill out a little bit, okay? Uh, you know, if, if that was the case, God would have brought judgment when the first thing started. Okay? It was that it had gotten so bad. Obviously, it was a sin. God considers it a sin. The Bible's always said this particular type of sexual activity is sin. Uh, but it was that it had gotten so bad and there was no righteous people there and it was, it was, was, they were so poisoned that here two good-looking guys show up and the whole city goes nuts with lust. And these guys want to have sex with them. And I've often thought, you know, had they had sex with Lot? You know, was the fact that these two guys that we hadn't had sex with before? Here's a new guy. Had he already been raped by these men? Entirely possible. On the other hand, maybe... You know, it was just because these guys were so good looking that they wanted to have sex with them. It doesn't say. Um, Anyway, so Lot goes outside to meet these guys and shuts the door behind him and says, No, my friends, my friends, you need some new friends, Jack. (laughs) Don't do this wicked thing. And then listen to what he says. Look, I have two daughters who've never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you and you can do anything you like with them. Can you imagine being the two daughters? (laughs) Dad! I mean, this guy, this makes a lot of real slime bag in my book for even considering such a thing. But he so wanted to protect these angels uh, that he was willing to toss in his own daughters and say, here, you do whatever you want with them trying to satisfy their lust. But... uh, They were not interested in that. He said, You do anything you want with the two daughters. He said, But don't do anything to these men, for they've come under the protection of my roof. This is my home. They're under my protection. And they yelled, Get out of the way! This fellow came here as an alien, and now he wants to play the judge. In other words, remember, Lot came here. He wasn't really from this town, so he's an, an alien legal or illegal, they didn't have those laws back then, but uh, here's this alien guy, you know, I don't want this guy, there. he's telling us what to do. We'll treat you worse than them! So maybe he hadn't been beaten by the hoodos. Anyway. Uh, anyway, they kept bringing pressure on Lot and they moved forward to break down the door. But the men inside, which are these angels, uh, reached, uh, the men inside reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. Then they struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness, so they could not find the door. So they grab Lot, pulled him out of the mess. Zango! Everybody. The lights go out. And all of them are blind. The two men said to Lot, Do you have anyone else here? Son-in-law, sons or daughters, anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here. Because we are going to toast this joint. The outcry to the Lord against his people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to to his sons-in-law, who were pledged to marry his daughters. I wonder what those guys thought of his offer. (laughs) And he said, hurry and get out of this place, because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. I don't know, a couple of angels show up and zap everybody blind in the city. I think I'd pay attention. But he thought he was joking with the coming of dawn the angels urged Lot hurry take your wife and your two daughters get out of here so really all that gets out of there are four people it's below the ten it's just four the sons-in-law could have got in on the deal they really made a mistake by sticking around so uh, when he hesitated the men grasped his hand in the hands of his wife and his two daughters and led them safely out of the city for the Lord was merciful to them they were still hesitating they didn't want to leave they dragged him out of there as soon as they had brought them out One of them said, flee for your lives. Do not look back. And don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you'll be swept away. But Lot said to them, no, my lords, please, your servant has found favor in your eyes. And and you've shown great kindness to me in sparing my life. But I can't flee to the mountains. This this disaster will overtake me and I'll die. Look, here's a town near enough to run to. And it's small. Let me flee to it. it. It's very small, isn't it? And then my life will be spared. And the angel says, okay, very well. I will grant this request too. I will not overthrow the town you speak of, but flee there quickly because I cannot do anything until you reach it. That's why the town is called Zoar, which means itty-bitty town. Uh, By the time Lot reached Zoar, the sun had risen over the land. Then the Lord rained down. It's interesting. I can't do anything until you get out of here. See, there again is that thinking of why for those who believe the rapture will come first, the people have have got to get out of the way before God can hammer the place. All right. Uh, so, anyway, the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah, for the Lord, from the Lord, out of the heavens. So here comes uh, burning sulfur rains down on these cities and completely destroys everybody and everything because they were so totally, completely wicked. And uh, even the son-in-laws, because they didn't get out of there. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, including all those living in the cities, also all the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife disobeyed. The angel said, whatever you don't look back. She turns around, she looks back, and the Bible says she instantly became a pillar of salt. Don't look back. Another great sermon there, by the way. You know, Jesus talks about if you put your hand on the plow, you don't look back. Keep looking forward. Press forward. Paul the Apostle said, man, I keep pressing forward. I forget the things that are behind. Why? There's this attitude in in faith of you don't look back. You don't look back. Now, lots of people are constantly looking back. The good news is you're not going to get turned into a pillar of salt. But the thinking here is, man, when you're walking with God, when you're going with God, quit doing this. Some people look back and they almost kind of miss the world or the life that they came out of. Don't do that. Some people they're they're so fixated on their failures. They fail and they're constantly looking back and reliving their failure and wondering why was their failure and and I shouldn't have failed. God, you must not love me because I failed. Quit that. Look forward, pressing on. Paul said, "I forget what's behind, I look forward." To what's ahead. Jesus says. You put your hand to the plow. You don't look back. Don't be like Lot's wife. Who just couldn't resist the temptation. To look back. Of course she paid a very high price for that. But let us as people of faith. As we're growing. Let's be fixated on the future. Let's be fixated on what is before us. Let's quit trying to relive failures, sins, uh, problems, stuff that that locks us in the past. Man, help get to a place where you can just trust God enough to let that stuff go, to look forward and, and put your hope and trust in Him and trust Him for the future. Now here's the thing, why it's such a great temptation to look back is because you can see back. It's hard to see forward. You're not quite sure what's out there sometimes it's it's almost more comforting to to rehearse where you've been because the life of faith is a little bit kind of like walking in the dark trusting God looking for it but we've got to as people of faith keep our focus that way and not let the past get its claws into us and pull us back okay we will end there uh, and then pick up uh, in verse 27 next week and uh we didn't get to the really weird stuff that's coming up I mean if that wasn't weird enough that was pretty weird but there was grosser stuff coming up actually but uh, very very interesting things here as we look in the book of Genesis ok let's have our ushers come forward we will get ready to receive uh, the Wednesday night offering um, there's a lot of uh, people who uh, can't normally come to church on Sunday, Wednesday's their only chance to come so that's why we take the offering, the chance for them to give uh, there are some who actually prefer Wednesday night over Sunday and rather just come to this and not Sunday morning which I don't have a problem with that as well personally I'd come to all of it if I were you because I think it's fabulous what's not to love but, uh, <laughs> but uh, anyway so we want to give you an opportunity to give into the kingdom of God tonight to honor God with what he has blessed you with Father we thank you for your word we thank you for what we learn from it Lord God, just looking at uh, how people responded to you in the past, uh, in, in days ancient, even as back in the days of Genesis, Lord, it gives us kind of a picture of even how we should be walking today, how we should be responding to you and honoring you and and trusting in you. Lord God, we thank you for it. Help us to continue to grow for, from your word. We thank you for this time tonight. Lord, we, we're, we ask you to bless this uh, giving tonight. Use this money, Lord, a portion of what you've blessed us with. We're so grateful, God, for the gifts uh, that you've given us. We now give back a portion of that into your kingdom for the advancement of your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen.